Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord on this nice, warm morning. Amen. feel like I was transported back to the north country. Praise God. I thought I escaped. Hallelujah. When you look at your phone, I haven't even been out in it yet, but when I looked at my phone this morning, it said that it was eight degrees with a felt like minus 12. It's like, hallelujah. Amen. Time to go work on the suntan. <laughs> Praise God. You at least get a wind burn or something. <clears throat> Amen. But it's good to be in the house of the Lord, no matter what it is like outside. Amen. It's always wonderful to be in God's presence. Amen. If you turn with me this morning to the book of First Samuel, chapter number 16. Amen. Can't believe it's 2015. Praise God. I still can remember the fear of Y2K. Amen. Every computer was going to crash. The whole world was coming to an end. Here we are 15 years later and wow. Amen. First Samuel 16 beginning at verse number one. The Lord said unto Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take an heifer with thee. Say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. Call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. Thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. It came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and withal the beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. The Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Praise God. For a few minutes this morning, I want to preach on the subject of the insignificant ones. The insignificant ones. Praise God. Can you lift your hands? Ask God to have his way in this place. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you for your touch, God. Lord, we're asking God that your perfect will would be done in this place today, God. God, I need your touch. I need your help today, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. God, I stand in desperate need of your touch, of your help today, God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. And you may be seated. If we look back, if you little bit here in the word of God, we can read about King Saul and how Israel, amen, was crying out for a king. <coughs> and so God chose Saul. Saul was a humble man. He was a man that hid himself amongst the stuff. He was a man that really did not want to be out in the forefront, out in the front of everybody. And he was humble and 
and uh, he, he started out doing some good things, but unfortunately Saul did not stay in that humble state of mind. But as time went on, his position got to his head, his power got to his head, and he was lifted up to a place where he felt he could do no wrong. Amen. He didn't have to listen to the man of God. He didn't have to listen to the word of God. And then he finally didn't even listen to God himself. And so we finally find that God rejects him and removes him from that place. And, uh, and God removed himself from Saul. And Saul was left as a bitter man, a man that had evil spirits that came upon him. He was a man that became violent, a man that just, he was a miserable individual because uh, of the choices he had made. But God, he, he, he comes and speaks to Samuel as we have read here today and said, how, how long are you going to mourn over Saul? He said, I've rejected him. I am done with him. It's time to move on. You say, well, that's a hard way of putting it. Well, that's what God was telling him. He said, you know what? You're, it's time for you to quit mourning over Saul. It's time for you to go and know when I have chosen another one. He said, I want you to go to Bethlehem, find Jesse, because I have chosen one of his sons. And so Samuel heads down there, as we read in the scripture, and, there, and Jesse brings Eliab, and, this, and Samuel got maybe excited. He looked at Eliab, and, and he looked like a king. He looked like a good candidate. He, he, he just boy to Samuel. He said, oh yeah, this is going to work out good. He looks good. He, he's got the look to him. He, he certainly is going to be a great king. But, but God said, hey, don't look on the outside. That, that's not what I'm doing. I, I'm not chosen him. He's not the one that I want. He said, I look down on the inside. So Samuel, I'm sure, was like, well, okay. So then the next one comes by. No. And then the next one and the next one and the next one until there's been seven of them pass by and, and, and there's none left standing there. And so he looks at Jesse and says, boy, do you have any more children? Is this all you got? Maybe he's starting to think, boy, did I miss something? <coughs> did I not hear your voice? Yeah. He goes, you got any more? And he said, well, yeah, there's one. He's the youngest. And he's out keeping the sheep. Samuel said, well, call for him. And we're going to stand here and wait for him. We're not going to sit down until he comes. The one that Jesse did not consider. Oh, help yeah. me, Jesus. The one that Jesse didn't think about bringing before the man of God. They stood there and waited as David came this ruddy, good-looking young man came before Samuel and God said, this is who I have chosen. I have no idea how old he was. I tried to figure it out. And I heard any, and what I read was anywhere from the age of 10 to 25. So there you go. That's about as much as I could narrow it down. Praise God. It wasn't very good information because the Bible don't say how old he was. But here this young man came and he was a good looking young man, but he wasn't who they, they were thinking about. Jesse didn't even consider bringing him from the field. In fact, Samuel had to ask if there was another one. If we could put it this way to Jesse, he was an insignificant one. He wasn't the one that Jesse would have chosen. He was not the one that was the great leader. He was not the one that looked like the part of the king. He wasn't the one that they thought would be the chosen one. But God did not look at the outward appearance. God did not look at the outward abilities and talents. But what God did is look down on the inside. And he saw something in David that nobody else could see. He saw the young man out playing his harp and worshiping in the midnight hour. He saw the one that would sing those songs of praise. He saw the one that loved him. He saw that tender heart. He saw that ability that nobody else could see mm, hallelujah too often we look on the outside and we we look around that person's talented they're good looking they have a commanding presence but that's not what God's looking at he's looking down inside he's looking for that insignificant one that nobody else is looking for 
but he sees what's on the inside. He sees what he can do with a willing heart. This insignificant one, the one that came and played his harp and Saul could find relief from these evil spirits. Well, that young man that was anointed came into the presence of that king, came into the presence of those spirits that were tormenting him and would begin to play and no doubt sing those wonderful psalms of praise and those spirits would leave for a while. Not because Saul had changed, but because that anointed young man came in there. Well, hallelujah. Amen. And God began to use him. And, uh, and we read in the very next chapter, probably the most uh, familiar story to most of us about uh, the life of David. Amen. When his father sent him to his brothers who were at a time uh, of war against the Philistines. And he shows up uh, in this camp. And there, they're all cowered down and hiding from this giant called uh, Goliath. And he couldn't understand it. Couldn't understand why everybody was cowered down to this Philistine. First Samuel 17 and 8 says, And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine? And ye servants to Saul, choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. The Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Well, this man, who knows how tall he was? He was a big man, nine foot tall or something. Amen. And and they didn't have that idea of the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Amen. They looked at that giant standing down there defying them and they were scared out of their minds. David shows up in this time and he, he can't figure it out. In verse 25, the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up and it shall be the man who killeth him. The king will enrich him with great riches. will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, old Eliab, the one that Samuel thought so highly of, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why camest thou down hither? What are you doing here? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? Oh, help me. He said, you're nothing, David. You're just your response, little few sheep. You're insignificant, David. You're nothing. Where are your few little sheep? You don't have any business being here. He said, I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. You're just here to see the action. You're, you're just here showing off a little bit. Where, where's your few sheep? You need to go back out there into that pasture with your sheep. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Eliab was like everybody else. And was scared to death. And his little brother shows up, not showing any fear. It made him mad. And so what he tried to do, in my opinion, was belittle him, 
put him down, put him in his place if you would. Make sure everybody around there knew how insignificant David was. David simply said, is there not a cause? Hey, said, if nobody else do it, I'll fight him. Hey, said, I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear. I can do it. Saul tried to put his arm on him. He said he hadn't proved it. He just took his staff and a sling and five smooth stones and went off to meet this huge champion. Verse 42, and when the Philistine looked about, saw David, he disdained him. You know what? David must have been getting used to it by now. Everybody thinking he was insignificant. For he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. Here, this good-looking young man standing there and this big champion, war-scarred, life-scarred, beat up, looks at this little guy like, what are you thinking? The Philistine said unto David, am I a dog? Thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me. And I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He said, you're talking about killing me. That's fine. You can talk about it. But not only am I going to kill you, I'm going to kill that army over there too. And the only reason I'm doing it is that everybody would know that there is a God in Israel. He said, I'm not out here to get fame and popularity. I'm not out here to get a big name. I'm not out here to get the praise of people. I'm out here that everybody would know that there is a God in Israel. I don't care about myself. I care about this guy that stands up here to find my God and to find the armies of the living God. And I want everybody to know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. He said, it's not because of my ability. It's not because of my weaponry. It's not because of my ability at all. It's all because of him. And it's his battle. And he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. He wasn't scared. He wasn't afraid because he knew who he was fighting for. He knew whose side he was on. And that big old giant didn't mean anything because he knew God was on his side. And David put his hand in his back and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. This was an insignificant one, if you would. This is the one that nobody thought could do anything. The one that was left out in the shepherd's field. The one that wasn't thought to be brought before the man of God. The one his brother ridiculed. But he said, hey, it's not for me. It's not because of anything I can do. But it's for the glory of God. And he stepped out and won a tremendous victory. 
word insignificant means void of signification, destitute of meaning, unimportant, answering no purpose, having no weight or effect. Well, unimportant. Sometimes we feel insignificant. We have nothing that we can do. I, I don't have the abilities of so-and-so. I, I don't have the talent of so-and-so. I, I don't have that kind of look about me. I, I don't have that kind of ability about me. I'm just insignificant. Well, let me tell you something this morning. God's not looking for an outward appearance. God's not looking for some great commanding presence or, or some great multitude of talents. He's not looking for somebody that everybody around him thinks is great, but he's looking down on the inside. He's looking for a hungry heart. He's looking for a willingness and a humbleness of spirit. He's looking for that word that says, I may not be talented. I may not have the look, but what I do have, I'm going to give it to you. God for your purpose God doesn't look at us like man does well he looks at the inward man he looks at the heart and he sees, amen, not what we are maybe today, but he sees what we can be he sees what he wants to make us into Hallelujah. I've always envied folks that can, that can go into, I've worked in construction, but they could go into an old house and look at it, and somehow they can see a wall gone here or a wall gone there. They can transform a house, but they can see it before it ever happens. I'm just the little guy that goes in there with a sledgehammer and knocks the walls down because I can't see it. But we can't look at just what we are right now. Because God's not seeing just what we are right now. But he sees what he's wanting to make us into when he comes in and knocks some walls down and opens some things up and he, he gets through some doors in our heart. He sees what he can make us into. He sees what he can make us and we can become in him. He doesn't see the insignificance that other people may see. He sees something that he can use, something valuable in his hand. We live in a world that is constantly trying to tear people down, to lift themselves up. Hey Amen, I've been around folks and all they do is tear everybody else down so that they can make themselves feel good. That ain't the way God works. He sees the insignificance, but he also sees that heart. And he says, you know what? I can make something beautiful out of it. I can lift it up. I can use that to greatly impact my kingdom. There was nothing in the looks of David that said he would be the mighty man that he was. But when you study his life, he was probably the greatest king, I believe, in the history of Israel. The one that started out insignificant, but I'm telling you what God took, that insignificant one, and used him mightily for his own purpose. I believe this morning that God has a plan for each one of us. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. He's got a plan for us. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what the Bible said. If you didn't know that, read it. <laughs> But he put us where he wants us. He put in us what he wanted us to have. My dad, I love my dad. He was a great man, great preacher, 
love God. Dad loved to sing. My dad put it very kindly, was tone deaf. And couldn't sing very good. Furthermore, he had a terrible habit of only remembering two lines of a song and singing them over and over again all day long. Every once in a while, there was a couple of songs I knew that if I mentioned them, he'd do it. And so I'd sing a line of it. My mom would give me a filthy look. I'd wave goodbye and go to work. Come home that night, he's still singing it. But dad wasn't a singer. No matter how much he loved it, how much he enjoyed doing it, you weren't going to have him sing you a concert. They would get him in the choir every once in a while. And uh, they'd stand him next to somebody who could sing. Because dad claimed he could follow anybody. Well, praise the Lord. Bible does say to make a joyful noise. Doesn't say to make it good sound. And when it is said joyful. <coughs> but no matter how much he wanted to be a singer, brother, he couldn't be. He just couldn't hear it. And there's some things that we can try to be all our lives. But if we don't have it, we just don't have it. But let me tell you something. God knows what you do have. You may say, well, I can't speak in public. I, I can't sing. Well, you know what? There's other things you can do for the kingdom of God. So I remember my pastor coming to me when I first started preaching. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, all you're wrapped up in right now is preaching. He said, that's 10% of ministry. He said, the other 90% nobody sees. And I found that to be true. Oh, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I tell you what, sometimes we, especially growing up in church, boy, we won't be that one up in front of everybody. But let me tell you something, that may not be what God wants you to do. But God's got something that you can do that nobody else can. God's put talents and abilities in you that maybe somebody else doesn't have. But what you've got to do is understand what you do have needs to be given to him and put in his hands. You say, well, but it's so insignificant, honey. It ain't insignificant. When you give it to God, he takes it and makes something great. There's a song. It's a southern gospel song I really like, but it talks about how they can't sing, they can't preach, but one thing they can do is I can pray. I'm telling you, there ain't one of us in this building today that does not have the ability to pray. You want to impact your world. You want to impact the kingdom of God. Then get down to business and pray. Pray for your men of God. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray for the lost. I'm telling you, you can make an impact. Nobody may see it, but God knows, and God sees, and God will bless. It's insignificant, maybe. I'm telling you, God looks at the inside. little story I read one time it says on hearing of the death of Pulitzer Prize winning cartoonist Jeff McNelly creator of the comic strip Shoe fellow cartoonist Walt Handelsman the Times Picayune New Orleans wrote I only received a call from Mike Peters who was an editorial cartoonist complimenting me on a cartoon and saying that he and Jeff McNelly had just been talking about how much they liked it when I got off the phone, I told my editor that that was the highlight of my career, just knowing that Jeff McNelly knew who I was. It's hard to explain, but to have someone great know who you are brings a sense of significance to life. 
God, the greatest one in the universe, knows you by name. The one who has impacted this world more than any knows your name, knows everything about you, and loves you in spite. You know, we have that. It's interesting to me because there's people that we think are great people and, and mighty people and powerful people. And if they know us, this makes you feel special. Hey, man, they know me. They called me by my name. Well, congratulations. It really means nothing when it really comes down to it. But what really means something is that Jesus knows my name. That he knows me. And he chose me. And called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And though we may at times feel insignificant to him, we mean everything. In fact, you can study this word of God. And as you read it this year, amen, I believe that when we read our word, the word of God, it transforms us. And we can learn a lot from what we read just in the everyday life. But you read about these people that we think are just mighty men in scripture. But yet when their time, they were very insignificant. John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one that came before, paving the way for Jesus Christ. He, he lived out in the desert, clothed in skins, uh, ate honey and locust. Well, that don't sound too appealing. The honey part ain't too bad, but you can have the locust. Y'all want to dip grasshoppers in honey? Go ahead. No, thank you. Peter was a fisherman. A hard worker, a rough man. James and John, known as the sons of thunder. And it wasn't because they were meek and mild. Matthew the publican. Zacchaeus, the wee little man. A publican, tax collector, thief. Insignificant, hated by those around them. Help me, Jesus. Luke, we know, was a physician. Oh, that's better. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, yet hated, hated, hated by his own people. Over and over again, trying to kill him. They hated him. Yet he turned his world upside down. He said, I did not come with enticing words. A demonstration of the power. The Holy Ghost. Folks that we probably would think were insignificant. Tent makers. But yet God used them. Priscilla and Aquila, I believe, were tent makers. But yet they found a young man that was mighty in the scripture. And showed unto him the way more perfectly. And Apollos became a great preacher of the gospel. Because of some insignificant tent makers. Again, read your Bible, you find it. It's in there. Over and over again, he took those that were thought of as insignificant, but they were willing to be used in whatever way they could be used. And over and over and over again, the insignificant. Onesimus, a servant or a slave became a fellow laborer with Paul. How much more insignificant can you get? 
You see, God doesn't look at things the way that we look at them. Our standing in society doesn't really matter, I don't believe, to God. God doesn't care if we're the president of the United States. God doesn't care if we're the president of our student body. I never was any of them. I wasn't even valedictorian in my graduating class of two. I finished second in my class. But his mom was the teacher and she let him take tests at home. It explains it right there. God don't care. He doesn't care if you have the greatest, the greatest knowledge and you're the most educated individual that's ever walked. Paul had a great education. Peter had none. But God took them and used them. Because he doesn't care about that. He cares about the fact that he's given us ability. He's given us talent. And we need to use that for his kingdom. For his glory. And not for our own. In fact, we can even just look at the life of Jesus. God robed in flesh. John chapter 1, verse 1, already been quoted. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The King of kings and the Lord of lords was not born in a palace. I read an article in the last year or so reading through the news one day of a celebrity that was getting ready to have a baby. Didn't want any commoners to be around. And so they were trying to get where they could rent the entire floor of the hospital so that nobody would be around when they had their child. Well, hallelujah. The God of glory robed himself in flesh and was born in a filthy stable. Amen. It wasn't some little clean, freshly scraped out stable. But being that there were so many people in town that they, they couldn't even have a room, they were sharing it with animals. There were animals rumbling around, smelling the place up, eating out of that manger that he was laid into. He did not come to great fanfare. He came from a very humble beginning. Was not raised in the house of a wealthy person. He did not have great social standing to start out his life. He was born to the life of a common family. Was raised up in the home of a carpenter. Did not come as royalty, although we look at him as the king of kings and lord of lords. But that is not how he came to this earth. And it's not how he lived his life. He moved in a very small circle his entire life. Within just a few miles. Insignificant. From the world's view. In fact, he even went so far as to say that the birds have nests. The Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. He didn't have a house. Oh. In fact, Isaiah, when he foretold in Isaiah 53... He said, who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. 
He did not become what he was because of his looks. It wasn't the outward appearance. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That doesn't always match up with our perspective of Jesus Christ. We think that men, everybody must have loved him and honored him and he was so revered. Yeah, they, they grew to love him. But they also grew to hate him and screamed out for his blood. And we get so wrapped up in our standing in life. I feel this this morning. We get so wrapped up in where we are in this life. When this life is so short. Willing to throw everything away to try to attain a place in this life. When our entire being should be striving for the life that is to come. In fact, Jesus himself said, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. Thieves don't break through and steal. Our treasure's down here. Another scripture says that you brought nothing with you. Surely you take nothing when you leave. Job said, I was naked, came I into this world. Naked, I'll return thither. I can't take anything with me. So why do we spend our whole life trying to attain here when we should be building treasures there? That's a side note. Isaiah went on to say, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Boy, that doesn't sound like something that I want to go through. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded because of my transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus Christ did not come to this life to please men. 
He, he did not come here to make folks just happy with him. And I don't believe for a second that he was an effeminate, gentle, little, soft man. Because that kind of man probably couldn't have braided a whip and drove out all the money changers out of the temple. That was a man that was mad that nobody wanted to mess with. That's the kind of man he was. And that's the man that came. <laughs> and though he healed, he didn't come to heal. Though he taught, he did not just come to be a teacher. His entire reason for coming from such an insignificant birth has shook the entire world though he never left that little region of the world. He's impacted the world far more than any other that has ever walked on this earth though he never left there. You hear tell of these men that are these great ambassadors go all over the world trying to impact the world but yet the greatest who ever lived never left his little homeland but yet has shook the world for close to 2,000 years he looked insignificant and this morning you may think of yourself as insignificant that you are nothing you're nothing special you failed. You've done things that were wrong. You're not worthy of anything. I will say this morning that none of us are worthy. But although we're unworthy, the very God of glory came, robed himself in flesh, and died. That old flesh went to Calvary. The blood poured out. He wasn't doing it for himself. There was no sin in him. But he did it for me. In